like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everyone, you're listening to Open Mic with Michael Thiessen, and of course I am Michael Thiessen here to talk to you about all the important cultural issues we're going through right now. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness, and at the same time then to defend those who stand legally. Christian Week exists to provide a hope-filled, balanced perspective on national and global issues. I always encourage you to go over to christianweek.org. We've got a great editor that's curating uh, Christian news from all around the world there. Um, as we get started, want to remind you of two important events that are coming up. First of all, our Liberty uh, Podcast Live events that are happening Monday, October 23rd and uh, Tuesday, October 24th. Uh, we're going to be shooting the Liberty Lounge. We're going to be shooting uh, Liberty Dispatch all together, all the boys. It's going to be a great night. Um, each night starts at 7.30 and goes till 9.30. We're going to enjoy this uh, and we're going to talk about our legal cases. We're going to give you some updates and the, this is a fundraiser for our legal cases. So come sign up right now. You can go and you can click the link, the Eventbrite link that we're using. We really want you to come out for those of you who are in Canada. For those of you who are in the United States or want to head down to the United States, the next event I want to share with you is a Spark Leadership Conference. This is October 31st to November 1st, and we are going to be platforming our Canadian pastors in South Carolina, in Charleston. So it's going to be a great time, $50 for this two-day event, and you're going to be hearing speakers who have been surveilled, fined, imprisoned, all in the last two years, and they're going to share their stories about why they stood for Christ in the middle of the COVID pandemic. So everybody, please go and sign up for that event. Today, I am speaking with John Cooper, none other than the lead singer for Skillet. Uh, in my estimation, the greatest Christian band on the planet. Uh, and, and John, for those of us who are all Skillet fans, we really do want to thank you for your, your brilliant artistry, and then what, what's even clearer than that is your clear, faithful love of the Lord Jesus as you guys produce your music and live, uh, live your lives. Thanks for coming on the show. That's very kind. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great to be here with you. So you're shooting this podcast, it looks like, from a... Um, 
from from a travel bus. Am I right? You're on the road. That's right. This is uh, this is where we sleep. <laughs> this is this is this is the uh, magic in uh, the you know amazing life of touring right here. But I did clean it up. I even made the bed a little bit for you. I don't know if you can tell, but I made it look good for you guys. That's hilarious. The first the first uh, few times. I started my podcast. I was shooting my podcast from my bedroom, and every once in a while, when life gets hectic, I have to remove remove back to somewhere. I remember my my wife like totally losing her mind when she realized I had I had shot in the bedroom and not really cleaned stuff up. And so, good for you, uh, every every Christian husband, you know, learn that lesson. Shoot podcasts after you make the bed. Uh, it's it's a good way to serve your wife. So, um, with that being said, uh, John, and, and just kind of getting into this cultural conversation because that's really where the, the the focus of the conversation, at least I want it to be, is in this area of of developing and being a part of of cultivating Christian thought, Christian thinking. Can we go back to the start? And what was it like developing a rock band in in the controversial world of whether rock music was even acceptable and and a, and a heavier a heavier rock band while at the same time really promoting Christ and 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 promoting your faith in him through that what what was it like developing the band in the early years mm yeah um and, and by the way if you I, I think we have a few minutes before i start hearing stuff we've arrived at the uh, venue and one of the other bands is going to start sound checking later i'm i'm praying we're going to get through this without you starting to hear you know kick drum for 30 minutes straight uh but i think we're going to make it um you know when I, when I started doing skillet i mean for one thing it was just a much much simpler world back then Certainly Christians were arguing about things because that's what Christians do. <laughs> we just argue about everything apparently. But certainly there were people that were saying, you can't be a Christian and play rock and roll music. You can't be a Christian and wear black. You know, I grew up in a household where my mom thought that rock music was the worst thing the devil ever did, except for Christian rock music, which was even worse. And, you know, wearing black was like wearing the devil's color because it was, you know, death or, or whatever. And certainly those things were happening. But for me, I think a lot of people involved in Christian music are involved in it because we had our lives so transformed um, by Christ much of the time because of Christian music. It was the Christian music was the vehicle for people like me to hear a lot about the Bible, to hear about this incredible God who loves me and is pursuing me and died for me and wants to change my life and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of us had our lives so radically transformed and God used Christian music to do that. Then we're just absolutely we just kind of ignored the people that said it was evil or it, you know it was satanic and for me i was just like hey i got a job to do and i don't i don't mind those people in fact just last uh say two weeks ago we played at a christian you know music festival and we had people out there picketing you know christians picketing skillet and i don't really pay those people any mind probably because i know that 
they really do probably love God and they probably believe that they're they're in the right. <laughs> they probably believe they're they're the ones being a prophetic voice in their generation. And I'm like, you know what? I've just got to do what God's called me to do. And uh, that's what it was like starting Skillet. Now it was hard because there wasn't a lot of outlets for the band, but I didn't really care. I didn't really care if uh, if we ever sold a lot of albums, if we ever played in front of a lot of people. I just believed it was my calling to play music and to share Christ with whoever would listen for however long that lasted. Cause I'm absolutely convinced that music affects people's lives. And so that's why I started skillet. It's actually music is so powerful. I, 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 I re reflect on this time every single time we do a worship service because I, I, I hate trying to artificially create mood in a worship service, but I, I also struggle to recognize, man, like music is so helpful in helping people reflect and think. And certainly music that is the content rich is, is remarkable for, for drawing, drawing people into worship. So that's just my age old pastoral mind going back and forth with, you know, how much do we include music in, in transitions and all that other stuff. Um, so one of the things, one of the cultural moments that is a real battle. So, so yeah, the, the, the people out on the picket line think they're being prophetic and, and we'd probably want to sit them down and go, Hey, brother, sister, there, there are really important issues, not, not the beat of a drum issues. There, there are, there are really important issues, things like men are are told that they can become women and women are told they can become men and there's a real attack on the family what is it like what is it like walking in the world of the arts um as a strong man uh maybe for maybe kind of frame that question with two caveats you know as a strong man who portrays masculinity like all you have to do is go to your guy's website and you you don't come across looking effeminate um so you portray masculinity in in the world of of artistry that really likes to at this time glorify um effeminate men what is that is that journey like does that come into your conversation like is that coming sure. into your world very often Yeah, you know, in a few minutes, um, obviously, we're going to talk about, uh, I, I'm just releasing a new book. It just got announced. Uh, the book is called Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. And, you know, part of what I'm saying in this book is how we have, our culture has redefined what is good and what is evil. One of those things that we see is, is the way that sex and gender is trying to be redefined here. But the truth is that it's so frustrating that there, that the way the enemy works and the way that our flesh works, for instance, everything gets twisted and everything is in contradiction, and people don't even seem to mind that it's in contradiction. And and let me give you an example, you know, being <laughs> this is so funny in the rock music world. I'm not trying to be crude, but when you're a, a rock star, and we do we do about seventy five to eighty percent of our business in the mainstream rock world. So in other words, 
we only do 20% of our business in, in what we consider the Christian music world playing with Toby Mac or Jeremy Camp or, or Bethel or whoever, whoever. In the rock world, girls, well, not girls, excuse me, women, young women, old women, all women, you know, they like rock stars and they come through autograph lines and sometimes they want you to sign their bodies and places that are inappropriate to sign their bodies, all right? So for years, of course, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I respect you too much. And to me, that's part of what being a man is, a godly man, you know, um, um, and a man who is living according to God's design protects women, protects women from actual toxic masculinity, <laughs> uh, which, is a, which is a phrase I hate, of course, but there is a toxic form of masculinity of domineering and abusing women and, and not protecting women. But my God ordained role is I'm supposed to help protect women from actual bad men, right? So you, you actually need strength in order to do, to do what is right. And so I'm protecting that woman. And in this case, I'm protecting her from herself and I'm respecting her by not doing that. And man, I get, hammered by the culture for that as if I'm actually usually it will be women that used to get mad at me almost as if I've rejected them by refusing to sign those inappropriate body parts so now I'm looked at as being a prude I'm looked at as not being a nice person as rejecting women when in reality I'm actually being the kind of man that God called me to be at the same time the culture calls toxic masculinity actual things that are that are good. For instance, if I say, yeah, but it's my role to help protect women from these kind of men, well, then I'm called being, <laughs> being oppressive to women. So what we have to realize is that the world has switched all of these categories. And in 2019, I wrote a social media post because I'm just sick of going to the mall and seeing I mean, let's just be honest. I don't even want to say half naked women. I would say nearly naked women on pictures in Victoria's Secret. Just, I mean, not inside the store, but, but on the outside of the stores where you're walking with your kids. And in one of my social media posts, I said a lot of times these, these, these models are, are, they're either barely legal. In some cases, we found out they were actually underage. And I'm sick of this. It's something we need to stop doing. We should not be sexualizing women this way, especially not people who are underage. And I can't, you can't believe the amount of women who got really mad at me and accused me of being a sexist, a misogynist, and this, that, and the other. So I think what we're dealing with is just what the Bible teaches us. Once you ignore the law of God, and you ignore God's creational design, his creational norms, then man is going to redefine what is good and what is evil. So it is the calling for every Christian man watching this program to say no to the world, to reject the world's ideas, and then say, God, I want you to define who I'm supposed to be as a man, and I'm going to do what is pleasing to the Lord, even when the culture uh, says that I'm I'm actually being an evil person. I know better because the law of God uh, teaches me what is what is righteous and what is wicked, not the culture. 
you know, John, I've, I've like so many thoughts to reflect on about that. First of all, your wife is touring with you. And so you are protecting her while you're protecting that woman, you're protecting your marriage because, you know, it's not just that women like rock stars. It's that by our sinful nature, it would be very easy to give into temptation as a rock star. So you're protecting your wife, you're protecting your marriage, you're respecting these women. And, um, like, like you said, even in the illustration of complaining about Victoria's secret, what we're seeing is a lot of inconsistency in the in people's worldviews where women want to be respected, but then they also want to push effeminate men to be able to control them. You know, um, I, I want to give you a little, uh, a little um, juicy tidbit of information that you may not be aware about of, but the term toxic masculinity was not originally a left term. The term actually was created by a number of men who were trying to fight what they called toxic masculinity um, it, back in the 80s and 90s, um, where they were trying to correct what, um, effeminate men. And so they created a label called toxic masculinity for men who were not acting like men and were not able to lead women in their role. Uh, and in fact, actually it, it was, it was, it was flip flopped, but this is, this is one of the original statements on talk, toxic masculinity, um, from the Atlantic, um, talking about how, um, how they viewed men. Listen to this. Uh, they were raised by women who, no matter how wonderful, didn't know how to convey the distinctive male mode of feeling. Thus, as the theory goes, instead of mature or kingly men, we tend to have these days our mama's boys filled with intense father hunger who feel uncomfortable in the company of men, but who certainly can't stand up to women either. That's the original definition of to toxic masculinity, which of course we're seeing uh, go rampant in society now. And so just um, feel feel free. That's from uh, the Washington Post, uh, two articles from the Atlantic and the Washington Post on the original form of toxic, toxic masculinity. So when someone says, oh man, I hate toxic masculinity, instead of being upset about it or qualifying, I say, absolutely, effeminate men are the worst. We have, we, we have, to, be able to, we have to be able to lead. Uh, we have to be able to show strength and respect and everything, what you just talked about in that, in that situation, you got to be able to, to look people in the eye and say, no, this is what God's word says about what we're going to do. This is how God's law points me in this direction. And you can call me whatever name you want, but I am, you know, not going to sign your cleavage, which I, you know, I'm not trying to be rude either, but every guy listening knows how tempting that would be. And, and every woman who's listening knows how much of a real issue it is to protect the marriage and in, in some of these very tangible ways. Um, talking about your marriage, John, what is it like uh, working so closely with your wife? Uh, that's a very public relationship. You guys show affection on stage. I, I think just recently I saw a whole round of Twitter where you guys like kissed on stage and, and, and people were 
were uh, were discussing whether or not that was a cool thing or not. I don't know if you saw that. It was just going around. But what's it like working with your wife? That's got to be really exciting. No, I haven't seen that. I had, I had no earthly idea if people, that people were discussing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've been doing it. See, we've been married now for 26 years. Um, we have two kids, just so people know where we're at. My daughter is almost, she'll be turning 21 next month. My son just turned 18. Um, and thank the Lord by the grace of God, both of our kids are living for Jesus and born again. And um, we've just had a great life doing music together. And, and it's hard, as you can see, this is where we live right here. <laughs> this is our only alone space for the last 26 years. Um, but you know, I think that that uh, passion for the gospel, passion to share music, uh, excuse me, um, the name of Christ through art has just driven us and we see the results. And so when we, we get to talk to these people that say, I mean, they have these crazy stories and, and I'm sure I'm sure you've heard crazy stories too, but they often don't really make sense outside of, uh, you know, the providence, the miracle working power of, of, of God. Uh, they're like, I was, I've never heard a skillet. I was going to kill myself. And the radio was on and I heard this song and it was one of your songs, you know, and I didn't even know who you were. And it was that song that, that helped me, um, c commit myself into rehab. And I got off of meth or I got off of, you know, Oxycontin or whatever their story is, they're unbelievable stories. And I always go that there's no way this is possible except through the providence of God. And music does affect people. I mean, you don't really have to prove that. I think that's why I don't usually, I don't usually spend a lot of time arguing with people that don't agree with me about the power of music or uh, whether it's biblical or not. I usually don't spend much time arguing with them because I almost feel like they're just not being honest from the get go. Everybody knows that music speaks. There's not a there's not a people group in the history of the world who didn't sing songs and 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 write songs to commemorate you know their their own specific holidays or their yearly rituals or good times and bad times. So you, you have songs of sorrow, you have songs of joy, you have songs that you remember when God did this one thing, you know, uh, brought you out of Egypt. And so there's all these rituals and every people group on the planet does that. So I almost feel like everybody knows that music is powerful. Music speaks to, to people in a way we can't understand. There is also an eternal element of music. You know, people often say, you know, hope you and you enjoy your life here because you can't take it with you when you die, you know, and obviously that's true. But there are some things we experience now to some degree that it seems we will be experiencing for eternity. Song, worship, music. I mean, that seems to be one of those things as we as we kind of get these glimpses into heaven and we get glimpses into the throne room and the angels that worship God forever and ever or these creatures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that's all they ever say ever for all of eternity. There's something happening with this that we don't understand. So that is, I think, the passion that has driven me and Corey. And obviously, we had to learn how to deal with things on the road. But tying this into our question earlier, the truth is, is most of the problems we've had in our marriage were because I was not being 
the uh, man that God had called me to be. In fact, I would say it was the fact that I was not bringing uh, what we might call dominion to my personal life, to my marriage. I wasn't. I wasn't being the. Uh, you know that the. I wasn't being the the head of the family. I was kind of. I was wanting to treat it a little bit more egalitarian because I'm sensitive. I'm one of those men that maybe the Atlantic wrote about, and I'm trying to be nice, and I'm trying to do all this and this, and really what my wife wants is for me to be the, you know, the head of the family. And when I began doing that, all of a sudden structure came in, dominion came in, God was glorified, and the result was that me and my wife's relationship got infinitely better. So that's the tie-in. It's really fascinating. I'm glad you tied it all together, but when you when you talked about the eternality of music and the power of music, I think that's a really good discussion point. Um, we can't describe the power that music has. So so the innate structure of it, where where we feel an emotive response to it, but as artists. How are you careful with directing where those emotions go? Um, if you're, if we have some young artists, you know, uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about the Ezra Institute. Um, we're going to talk about their training programs. We talk about art at those training programs. Uh, as an artist, what would you say to some young budding artists to point their music towards Christ? To, to you know, is there, you know, is, is redemption embedded in every song is, you know, does a cover album, does the symbol of every cover album lead all the way to redemption? What, what are some of your thoughts on directing your music and, and how you do that concretely? Sure. You know, one of my philosophies, whether it's, it's 100% right or wrong. Everybody's going to have opinions on this. and uh, But I'm going to tie this back into the idea of me um, kissing my wife on stage. Um, there are virtual, I mean, it, I don't know the statistics on this. But if you wanted to find out in the mainstream celebrity world, let's don't even just say music. Let's say celebrity, Hollywood, actors, directors, producers at labels, rock stars. If you wanted to look at that world, the amount of people have had a faithful marriage between one man and one woman for 26 years, it's going to be a small group of people. And so people are always going, you guys have been married for 26 years on the road. How did you do that? And of course, you know, my, my answer is that I mean, I think that marriage is a miracle. I think it's the power of the spirit. I think it's the word of God that teaches us how to act towards one another. Kissing my wife on stage is a very small act that celebrates faithfulness. It celebrates fidelity. It celebrates loyalty. It celebrates something of me saying, hey, I have committed myself to this woman for the rest of my life. Um, and that is a covenant relationship based on my belief in the Bible. That is a huge, huge testimony to a world who does not view marriage as a covenant, 
who does not view marriage as till death do us part, who views marriage as a, a convenience because of a feeling that I have, and we're going to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So my, my philosophy is that you don't have to have, you don't have to have the, the, the Roman road in every single song that you make. And every time you talk about the Lord has to lead to repent and be born again. I don't really think that has to do that. I think that there's an element of being salt and light in the world. And we, we do those things to different degrees at different times. And sometimes it's just the testimony of what God has done is enough to make someone challenge their own beliefs. Uh, for instance, about marriage, it's the, it's the testimony of a marriage before God that has lasted for 26 years. And somebody goes, man, that's really beautiful. Why is that? And maybe it leads to them asking their, their own questions. Um, if someone chooses, actually it's a good example, but my friend uh, Franklin Graham, every single conversation, every single interview he has ends with, we need to repent and be born again in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Franklin does on every single opportunity. And I celebrate that Franklin does that. Um, I just don't think that everybody has to do that. And I think when you're talking about art, just like you'd be talking about maybe cinema, you know, films, I think that there is a, there is a really um, incredible argument to be made that sometimes just inserting a question can be more powerful to people than delivering the full answer because that's part of what art does. Art challenges us. It challenges our thinking. If people don't believe me, just notice how the enemy has used art for evil. I mean, why do you think that the 1960s sexual revolution was so tied in with rock and roll, sex, drugs, rock and roll? It's because music was a really great opportunity for people to hear a message and go, I'm going to challenge my assumptions that America was a good place. For instance, I say that because a lot of the sexual revolution was yeah. obviously tied into anti-Americanism and the anti-war movement. So all you got to do is look at what the devil has done. And it's obvious that throwing out those seeds and those questions is a great way to get someone's attention. Yeah, and of course, you know, we we know ideas like one sows and another reaps. And so when you're when when you're in the process of taking people and 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 you're giving them a message, you, very often you're only going, you know, if you're out at, you know, Kroger and you're buying groceries, you you may not be able to get all the way to the gospel, but you, but you can take a conversation and point people in the direction of Christ. And that's, that's, that's so important. And we're so thankful that you have been doing that with the band. We're, we're really grateful for your work with that, John. Um, I, I think my wife would be remiss, uh, be upset with me if, if we, before we got into your book, we just didn't do a quick shout out to Jen Ledger. Um, so my wife um, was a aspiring female drummer um, loved, uh, loves, loves drumming, loves, loves music, has not done it for years and years now. Uh, when she knew you and I were talking, she's like, you have to talk about Jen Ledger. She sings and she drums 
and she's just the best. So um, why don't you why don't you go ahead and kind of share about uh, does does Jen do the majority of the harmony? It's 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 her that is really the one forcing the harmonies on on, on most of the songs, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I, I think I would say for the most part, yes. And, um, you know, Jen was such a talented young person. We had a girl drummer before Jen. And this is also the funny thing about Skillet, you know, is that before everyone was talking about diversity and inclusion, you know, Skillet was a band with two girls and back in, gosh, two, in the year 2000. We had two girls because I was like, hey, rock and roll is not something that only men can do, you know, and, and I was we were on the front end of that thing. And yep. um, I just always thought, man, if you got because uh, my wife is, uh, plays keyboards and guitar for the band. And I'm like, if, if, if a girl crushes at this, it is such a cool celebration of something. It's something that people aren't used to seeing and it's different. And so, you know, we were really blessed with that. But. And the truth is, is that Skillet is just blessed first and foremost, because all of our band members are committed followers of Christ. And I don't know if everybody knows how difficult it is to find a talented musician who is a who wants to be on the road, wants to live that life and do all the things it takes to be on the road. But first and foremost is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. And that is such a privilege um, for us, especially in the rock world, because, you know, now girls that are uh, female musicians are really idolized to and, and not just idolized, sexualized. Let's just say it. They're sexualized yeah. in a really large way because it's mostly a male audience. You know, probably 75 percent of a rock audience is going to be male, 90 percent for some bands. Um, and so I just think having a band that's that sticks to our morals and sticks to uh, God's plan for sexuality and is not ashamed of that is just such a huge blessing. So Jen is amazing and she rocks, she slams so hard. And I told her when she first joined, I said, hey, you're gonna have to play harder and crazier than a guy or else people will say that you don't. So, so you can't be as, you can't be, you can't slay as hard as a dude. You gotta slay harder in order to make up uh, people's, you know, presuppositions of, of what you're going to be like. And uh, I personally think that's the same thing for Skillet in general, because we're a Christian band. People go, I bet they don't really rock. I bet it's not really that aggressive. And so I'm like, hey, when we hit the stage, we're going to hit this crowd like just like a thunderbolt. It's going to be shocking and stunning. I want people to go, uh, they're Christians. That's insane. And and I think that that's kind of what Skillet is known for, because I believe when we hit the stage, I believe it's spiritual warfare. I believe that the enemy uh, is not happy when Skillet goes up on stage as we proclaim the name of Christ through through our music. Yeah. With that being said, when are y'all in Kentucky next? We need to get a Kentucky... Uh... A Kentucky or a Cincinnati booking uh, coming up soon, so we can get out to something live. Um, <laughs> so let's go on and let's talk about your book. Um, your, I, I literally asked. I wanted to start that question that I asked you to start the interview. Actually, just came from a friend of mine. We were kind of talking about, you know, what should I, what should I 
start off with with John? Like, where should we go? And you and I had never really discussed the content of your book. I knew you wanted to do an announcement. I know that it's just been recently announced. So let's go through that a little bit. Uh, give us the title again. When's it going to be available? And and tell us about the guts of this book. That would be really helpful. Well, I'd love to. I, I mean, it, you know, sounds like the audience watching this is going to love this book. It's going to help you. I'm telling you. So it is available for pre-order now. Go to johnlcooper.com. It's my website, obviously, johnlcooper.com, and go to the merchandise section. The book is called Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. The subtitle is How Truth Can Save America from Utopian Destruction. The idea of the book is because as I look around, I go, okay, there's so many things happening. We have the sexual revolution. We have the critical race theory stuff. We have just... I just, I call it race madness. I mean, it's like race obsessed craziness that has also infected the, the church to where the church has become sort of a mixture of the kingdom of God and social justice ideology. And so you have this like racial social justice stuff coming in you've got the sexual revolution stuff now you have a lot of christians that are are kind of open to the idea of socialism they're open to some of the ideas of karl marx or at least they do not have like a they don't flinch when you say socialism and by the way christians should be flinching when you say socialism we saw the church in america even worse than canada my lord um a lot of the church say, hey, COVID happened. The government would never try to hurt us. So whatever the government tells us to do, we got to do because the government's good. Government would never do anything bad. All of these things are leading to, to one end, in my view, which is a belief in utopia of some sort. It is a belief in a that the, the state should be able to take all control and institute the perfect society from the top down. We see that with our gender madness right now. We see that with um, the gender madness is so crazy that if you go on social media or depending on where this podcast comes out, certain things might be censored. You might be dinged on social media. You'll be demonetized. Friends of mine have lost their jobs for things that they've said about gender. You're, some people are being forced to sign you know, uh, almost like, hey, if you want to work here, you got to sign this paper saying that you agree with all of these things about transgender ideology, LGBTQ pride, so on and so forth. All of this is happening because the state is trying to institute their version of utopia. And the, the, the premise of my book is that Christians have been duped into thinking that the kingdom of God and secular utopia are basically the same thing and they are not the same thing and i call it in my book i call it faux post millennialism so it's almost like well well the kingdom of god's got to change the earth right and so that means we have to join with whatever the secular world is doing to institute racial justice economic justice gender justice so on and so forth and to 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 equalize outcomes amongst groups of people between white people black people brown people gay people straight people women men and so i go into the book to explain why secular utopia 
is not only not the kingdom of God, but that is going to lead to the worst outcomes imaginable because they are not the same thing. So that is the premise of Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. So who is Wimpy, Weak, and Woke? Who particularly are you oh, yes. calling not to be wimpy, weak, and woke? And, and after you answer that question, I have just a few stories of my own to share with you really briefly as we, as we talk about this. So who are you calling not to be wimpy, weak, and woke? Yeah, excellent question. Let me start with this. I would like to explain to people. Um, well, no, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll jump into to, right to what you said, and then I'll, I'll finish with it. Here's what I mean when I say wimpy, weak, and woke. We are wimpy because we believe that Jesus was also wimpy, and it's not it's not true, and it is not good. And what it, I think that has done is it made it has made the church, it's made Christians feel like that being winsome is more important than telling the truth. And I and I think that we actually think, well, because that's what Jesus was like everywhere he went. I always hear this from, from friends, even Christians who I love. They say, everywhere Jesus went, everyone wanted to be around him because he was so loving and so winsome. And, so, and sometimes I go, like, you do remember that they like tried to push him off of a cliff. You do, it's like, there's a whole list of things of why people, I mean, they killed him for a reason. They, they did not like Jesus, all right? Um, so Jesus was not wimpy and we are not called to wimpiness. So that's one thing. We are weak because we have become theologically and philosophically weak. We are weak because we feel we have to apologize for the character of God. And that's really, really bad because what is happening is that we go, well, I don't know. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that God, God would, would bring justice and judgment and he would, he would, you know, uh, judge some people and sentence them to hell and, and sentence other people to heaven. I just don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair that God says that there are some sexual things that are moral and some sexual things that are immoral. That just seems mean to me. We have a lot of Christians apologizing for the character of God. So one of the things I say is that a lot of Christians say they're unashamed to say the name of Jesus, but they are ashamed of the character of Jesus. And so what it's led to, what it's led to doing is, is us believing that God is a mean God, but that is absolutely not true. We are woke because we want to, I basically give my definition of woke here because a lot of people go, we don't even know what woke means. Nobody knows what it means. This is all that woke is. It is PC culture on steroids, political correctness on steroids, trying to bring justice to the earth through the lens of neo-Marxist ideology. In other words, it, it redefines who the poor and the oppressed actually are. And so, uh, in other words, if people say, Hey, I have a, I have a kid, you know, he, he, he was born Bob, but he says that he's Sally and they're not letting him play on female, you know, sports teams in high school. 
and he is being oppressed because he is not allowed to be his truest self and play on this girl's team. And then what you have are Christians that then say, well, God wants us to, to speak up for the oppressed. And so Sally, who is actually Bob, is now being oppressed. And so they say that the gospel of the kingdom means that we need to speak up for Sally. But true biblical justice doesn't work like that. The law of God is rooted in objective reality, in an objective world that God made. And so one of the things I go to links on this, and the reason I, I, I say this is because I think a lot of Christians don't know this, that God created a moral universe, and then he created a moral law that coincides with that universe. So that when you obey what God says, you are going to find that your life works in objective reality. But if we live in a world that says, I don't want to do what the law of God says, I don't like his created order, Bob can't actually be Sally, and we have to fight for that to be true, all of a sudden you are bucking against the created order of God. And what's going to happen is not just does that mean that we're in sin, it's going to lead to absolutely terrible results, chaos. It's going to lead to the destruction of the fabric of society, which is why I believe we're, where we're at. So as I finish up this sort of pitch from my book, if you have ever been in a conversation with somebody and you say something like, no, I don't believe that because that sounds like critical theory or no, because that means that, that, that is seeing the world through a lens of race. Or if somebody says, well, free speech, you know, hate speech isn't free speech. If you have said something to them and they said to you, you just don't understand what critical theory is. I, I mean, I don't know if you've been told that, but I've been told that a lot. No, John, that's not true. You just don't understand what Karl Marx actually meant. So I, if you've ever been told that, you need to get this book. The book's got 650 footnotes in it. It, it, it says the original words from the original people. But not only that, it also explains why those ideologies are wrong. And the reason I'm saying that, it's my last pitch for my book, is because there have been a lot of great Christian books on these ideologies, really good books. But sometimes I, I wish they would spend more time saying, and this is the reason that that ideology is wrong, and so this is what we need to do. In other words, give me a positive vision. Don't just tell me why it's wrong. Give me a positive vision. What happens if we do what God says? Do we walk in God's blessings? And that's what this book does. So I think that people who are deeply confused about what in the world is going on um, and and find that people tell them that they don't really know, they don't know what they're talking about, this book will give you a lot of those kinds of answers. If I look like I'm in pain, it's because I'm really trying hard to keep my train of thought to repeat what you just said there. Everybody, you need to re-listen to three profound thoughts. We are wimpy because we think that Christ was wimpy. And you said, uh, John, you said, you know, you remember they tried to throw him off a cliff. I, I, I was thinking there, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was thinking, you remember he told them, he turned around and said, if you're coming after me just for the food, go away. And then people left because they were just coming after him for the food. Like, a literal 
like <laughs> weekly problem of the church. Uh, how, how, however many pastors have gotten up and said, uh, if you're just here for the food or the coffee, leave. Uh, and people would get up and leave. Uh, wimpy because we think Christ is wimpy. Weak because we're ashamed of the character of God. Man, that hits to the heart of so many Christians' confusion and problems. They they end up being humanists where they side with the world to put God on trial. I think C.S. Lewis uh, talked about it, uh, God in the queue. And um, they put... They, they put themselves as the seed of God. And Christians, this is something you've heard me talk about on the podcast a lot. You're entering into a world of another religion. You're entering into a world of blasphemy when you place yourself or another human being as the judge of God. So, John, what a crystallized thought. We're weak because uh, we are ashamed of the character of God. And then, folks, on that definition of woke, you have to hear how succinctly John has helped the conversation right there. They're redefining who are the poor and who are the oppressed. Isn't that the way of the left? They, it's a bait and switch. They say to you, yeah, get emotional. Yeah, feel uh, empathy for these people. But then they put people in front of you that don't deserve that empathy. Um, they don't deserve that victimhood. And it confuses you. So, John, I just want you to know I'm, I'm excited about uh, uh, reading the book and, and getting the book because I think you've really just there helped the conversation with those three thoughts just in that summary. Um, this, you know, we, we talk a lot about you, you said um, in Canada, you know, things were much worse during the lockdowns. We're going to be hosting a conference in South Carolina in Charleston called the Spark Conference. And um, I'm tempted uh, right now just to uh, force you, John, to make a, a, a life covenant. You're going to come to our conference uh, on October 31st and November 1st. <laughs> uh, I would love for you to be able to come. But we're going to be talking about how bad it got up in Canada and how many churches were deceived, wimpy, weak, and woke. And the vast majority... Of all of the problems that we saw in the Christian church in Canada came to the three points that you just mentioned. Time and time again, people would say, you're not being winsome enough. Or they would say, Jesus was a sacrificial lamb. And, and they wouldn't remember the, the, the resurrection and, and the kingship of Christ and his, and his conquering return. Um, we heard many, many times... Um, about people really being ashamed of any Christian character that would call people to worship God while everybody else is panicking. It, you, you, there was so much offense where people found just being offended by someone saying, no, this is the way we should go and I don't need to panic with you. Uh, and then, of course, uh, on that third point, um, really – trying to put the right people like local business owners, um, like local churches as the correct oppressed people right then at that moment and not the conglomerate of the health industry. You know, people got confused. Who are the real victims here? Are they people being forced with vaccinations or are they doctors making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of emergency funding? 
And so these are really critical conversations. And I would encourage everybody to come to the Spark Conference um, on October 31st and November 1st. We're going to be talking a lot about this. John, I know you froze for a bit, but I cracked the joke that you have to come. Um, and uh, I didn't get to see whether you groaned or laughed at that. And I'll, I'll leave that with you. <laughs> I laughed at it. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll expect to yeah, see you no, there. I and if you're there, then 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 skillet can just do an impromptu uh, uh like a worship session or something um so that brings us to the last part of this conversation and john you've been introduced to the ezra institute um you've read joe boots uh major work uh his work called the mission of god um, i'm a fellow at the ezra institute and much of what you and i have been talking about is back to the basic back to the basics and then also exploring some of the the areas of philosophy and theology that we've neglected and we do that a lot at the ezra institute and um we're so thankful that uh you've reached out i know you've been on joe's podcast i know you talk a lot about this can you share a little bit about how um, some of the things you've been reading that have come out of the Ezra Institute might have shaped the book or or just led you to be – or has this been stuff you've been on to for 20 years? Like kind of talk a little bit about – Sure. Yeah. Sure. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, you just touched on something. <laughs> Excuse me. I want to read you something. Uh, it's just a, my chapter three. Listen to this line, because you just mentioned something about secular humanism. Here's what I say. I say, so many of our Christian leaders are proving themselves to be secular humanists with Bible degrees. And nothing has proved this more than their reaction to the overturning of Roe. You know, here in America, Roe got overturned. And all of a sudden, all of these Christian leaders who have been saying they've been praying for 50 years for Roe to get overturned, all of a sudden, they were not ready for what it meant. They were not comfortable to say that, that yes, abortion should be absolutely 100% done away with it. And if that is actually what is in the law, then it should be criminalized. And all of a sudden, pastors were going, oh, no, 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 no. That's, you know, they, they are embarrassed of the law of God. And so part of what I'm saying in the book, and this is what I, I want to tie in to Joe Boot, the mission of God, Ezra Institute at large, what I'm so thankful for, for, for all of those people and all those institutions is because Joe is training people how to live under the Lordship of Christ in all areas of life. Every single area submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And what I write about in the book is that I believe even within Christianity in America, I believe we have a form of polytheism going on which is where we think that Jesus Christ is Lord of all the spiritual things. We think of it like a two-floor house, upstairs and a downstairs. Christ is Lord of the spiritual things. He's Lord of my heart. He's given me salvation. He's Lord of what I pray about and, and all of these sort of pious things. But God does not give me the answers for how I'm supposed to live on earth, how I treat my neighbors, abortion, how many how much taxes to pay whether the church can be shut down by the power of the state whether a boy who says he's a girl should be able to play in a girl's sports or not 
Well, God doesn't really give us the answers for that. And if God doesn't give us the answers, that means we can only get it from man. So that is polytheism. We serve Christ in the upstairs. We serve man in the downstairs. But the goal of life, and this is definitely something that Joe Boot, Ezra Institute has shaped me on, is that Christ would be glorified in every single aspect of our lives. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He's either Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. I, I really do believe that that is the sort of binary approach that we are at. And so uh, as disciples, all of us met, make mistakes. All of us have things in our lives that we have refused to fully surrender to Christ. That's called sin. That's called something I'm still wrestling with. But the goal should be, Jesus, how can you be glorified in my life? And, you know, it's like David says in the Psalms, he shows me the path to life. That's not just life after you die. That's for life right here on earth. So that's why I'm thankful for what you guys are doing. Worldview, I truly believe this is the thing that is missing in the church. I think it's the reason we're having so many problems. And so if we don't answer those questions from the Bible, yeah, I just said this at a pastor summit last week. I just said, hey, if you're a pastor that you say, well, I don't, I don't think it's my purview to talk about those things, John, tra transgenderism, tra boys playing girls sports, drag queen story hour, abortion, the state shutting churches down in COVID, does the, does the state have the power to force you to get a vaccine and yada yada? If you don't think that that's your place as a pastor to talk about those things, I can guarantee you, you that means your flock will go find out from Cardi B. Cardi B will teach them. Katy Perry will teach them. Joe Biden will teach them. Uh, their favorite rock star will teach them. They're going to find some answers because these are the, this is the chaos of our moment. So why don't we speak up and say, if Jesus is the truth, then, then we have, then, then he has something to say about the downstairs. That's sort of all throughout the book. Every chapter in my book, I give you an upstairs, downstairs picture of what this philosophy does. This philosophy makes man God of, of heaven and man God of earth or vice versa or whatever it may be. So hopefully that'll be helpful for people. You know, Joe, uh, Joe and at our at our at our teaching programs, uh, all of us fellows uh, talk about Christ's lordship. Uh, I know that David Wells gives the illustration of many Christians walk around thinking that Jesus is in my backpack, and as long as I've got Jesus in my backpack and He's just rubbing my shoulders, and that that's um, it's more of a private public correction. Uh, image than a upstairs downstairs, but it, it's the same. It's the same teaching. Many people think that our faith is my my private mental well being, and that if I can just pray more, or if I can sing Christian music, or if I can um, read the Bible, then I myself personally, privately, um, am a better person. But that that scripture doesn't have anything to say about the real world out there and what we're seeing. And I'm, I'm, I know you use that word binary. What we really are seeing is that type of Christianity leads to a, a, a real inconsistency because people, they, 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 they go back to their private life and they go, actually none of this stuff 
is giving me any comfort. I, I you know, I, I'm out uh, protesting beside trans rights, and then I come home and I try to read scripture, and I can't do it because this is talking a lot about that. Um, and so, uh, this is a really important distinction that we teach about the 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 integrate. God is transcendent. He is in control of all of the world, and he has a, a, a word for all of the world. And so, um, John, we're really glad that you've uh, been interacting with uh, Ezra Material, and we're really thankful. Your new book look, sounds like it's going to be great. Um, while I have John on, everybody, I want to take this opportunity to do some advertising for the Ezra Institute, because, John, um, in, interestingly enough, I am a pastor from Canada now living in the United States, and part of my pastoral role in the, here in the U.S. is to make Americans aware of what's been going on up in Canada, and then also to draw them to the, these great Christian worldview training uh, opportunities in the U.S. So the Ezra Institute has broken into the United States finally. I don't, know, I don't even know, John, if you're aware of this. But we've got our Cultural Leadership Academy coming up June 29th to July 8th, and that is in Huntsville, Alabama. And then we are holding a Worldview Youth Academy in the United States in uh, June 12th to 18th in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So this is the first time that we've been running American events um, so that Americans can now attend Ezra events. So maybe, John, your eldest and your youngest uh, kids might be able to come and participate in one of these events. That would be really great. Uh, but we're thankful for your interaction with our worldview stuff. And um, we really hope in the future we'll be able to work together and and uh, teach so many people this really important truth. And I'm going to go back to what you said in your book. Folks, God's character is so high and above our character that we should never be ashamed of him. <laughs> we are the ones that are worthy of, of, of him being ashamed of us, not the opposite. And the moment you take that basic thought and you go, I am going to trust, because that's, that's what we accept by faith. We accept God's character by faith. Then you go to that next point that you were talking about, John, his law for his world, world, you can make sense of everything when you place all of your hope in God's character and his redemptive work, and then look at his word for instructions in the real world. And and things fall into place. So, so it's the very things that you're writing about, John, it's the very things we're teaching at the Ezra Institute are the very things that the church actually needs. We need uh, to be called not to be wimpy, weak, or woke. John, I love the title of your book. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I uh, want to give you just the last two minutes with any closing thoughts, and then I'm going to sign off. Other than... Well, it's been great to be on the show. I really... Uh, sorry, other, other than you just signing in blood that you're going to come to the Spark Conference and send your kids to... Uh, <laughs> Send your kids to Ezra events. That's uh, other than that. Yeah, just give some closing thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Um, yeah, it's been great to be with you. You know, I, I, like I say, I love what you guys are doing. I, I really do think that this is 
this is what the the church really needs to hear. Um, I also think that it's what um, lay people need to hear. In other words, it's, it's not just pastors that need to hear this. I think there needs to be a sort of a revolution amongst the lay people that they really begin to get a hold of these things. Because what, what I believe is going to change America and Canada is going to be Christian families. It's going to be creating these 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 like uh, little little churches, if you will, you know, a mom, a dad, and a, a child or two ch children. That is what's going to change is we're creating little churches and we're instituting God's rule, God's dominion, and uh, and, and and that begins to to sort of spread out, you know, um, amongst the, that sphere of influence. So I'm very excited about that. And the uh, last thing I would just say uh, as one last pitch from my book, go to johnlcooper.com. You can pre-order the book. It's the only place you can pre-order the book. Um, and uh, because it's, I published it on my own. And I, I really do think it's going to help some people who are a, a little confused. I tell some of my stories that are probably going to sound sort of familiar to you because everybody's been going through these, these same strange stories. But uh, yeah, if you, if you feel like I don't understand why drag queens are teaching my kids g about gender theory at school, <laughs> I don't understand this, whatever it may be, it's probably covered in the book. So go check it out. You guys keep doing what you're doing and I sure hope to see them down the road. Well, thanks so much for being on John. Um, it's been a it's been a tough battle because again what you just said there is really important. In fact, as we've been talking a bit about the the corruption of the church, many pastors are actually the gatekeepers to the corruption because there's something that's it's a it's a little dirty secret that nobody wants to talk about in ministry. It's not that many pastors are overpaid because that's just not the truth. But many pastors live in fear of, um, you know, a divided church. You know, many pastors live in fear of, well, what do I do if I have to lead people through controversy? And so I, th I agree with you. I think it's really important for Christians to mature up because number one, you can go back and you can, you can support your pastor and you can give him strength when he's going through controversy. And then in some cases, you're going to be able to teach him, correct him and reprove him from scripture. And uh, that, that's, that's, that's going to be needed. So folks, everybody, Please share this video. Give us a five-star rating. If you want to support our podcasting work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate. If you click the analysis box, the donations there go directly to Christian Week, who helps us produce these uh, podcasts. If you want to support our legal work, which is something John and I did not get into about Christians who will stand up in this cultural moment, sometimes find themselves looking the union head-to-head uh, -head with uh, with a legal uh, procedure. Um, we also have a legal team that defends those Christians. So go over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click other designations. That's going to go to support our legal funds. Um, our shows go out on our Apple Spotify dispatch feed called Liberty Dispatch. All of our shows are there. You can find them there. And of course, on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Nat Network, which is now called Pub TV. Thanks for listening, everybody, and Godspeed. <laughs>